Hello, and welcome to the Transportation Exchange presented by Rush Truck Centers of Canada. My name is Jason Cuddy, and I will be your host. This podcast will take a closer look at the companies in the transportation industry and the people behind them. Each episode will have an in-depth conversation with a representative of one of the many companies from the transportation world and get to know more about their journey in the industry, the company history, and their overall outlook for the industry. I hope you'll enjoy what we have in store for you. Be sure to subscribe for notifications of each new podcast and let us know who you want to hear from in future. All right, well, welcome. Today is our first episode. And with me today, we have Peter Collins, who is the VP of Maxon Lift Canada. Welcome, Peter. Thank you very much, Jason. Great to be here. Yes, this is fun. So this is our inaugural one. We're going to kind of learn as we go, but I think uh, we've got a good template to kind of keep everyone interested. And, you know, part of the dive of this is get to know the individual a little bit behind the business, a little bit of the business itself, and we'll chat a bit more about the industry. Um, so starting off off the bat, you know, you are a Toronto boy, born and raised. Certainly am. Certainly am. And just before we get going, uh, thank you very much for making me your number one visitor. Well, there you go. You bet. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to have you. So yeah, so, so uh, Toronto, so not far from home from where we're recording today, but also from where we work. We're, you know, in the heart of the GTA, um, you know, for the industry itself. Um, but as, as we go through it, uh, you know, I wanted to kind of dig into how you got here. And, and part of it is, how did you get into the transportation world? You get in in around 2004. Um, but yep. if you don't mind, walk me through kind of how you got into this crazy mixed up world that is our transportation industry. Well, it, thank you. It's It's been a, a rather interesting journey. I was uh, As I was getting ready to, to come on the show today, I uh, was kind of looking back at how I did get here. And one thing that struck me was uh, growing up in Toronto and you know trying to find jobs that would get you through school and pay for things and pay for all the fun things we love to do. Um, I drove a truck. Wild. For like eight years, high school, drove a bakery truck for Dell's Pastry all through Toronto, got to learn the city a bit, uh, was lucky enough to get a job at Coca-Cola, delivering Coca-Cola to variety stores, bars and restaurants, really got to know the city and loved it. Excellent. Great paying job, got me to university. Um, and it's ironic when I look back that, you know, my formative time in the city of Toronto was spent driving around a truck. Yep. And now you're on the other side of it. Now I'm on the other side of it. So how wild. about that? Yeah, it, it's, it's full circle. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know it's been a it's been a very interesting journey for myself. I was fortunate enough uh, years ago, you and I, Jason, spent some time together in the material handling industry. Correct. And uh, through that work, I uh, I met a fellow named Al Bouton, and Al at the time was the president and founder of Trailcon Leasing, and we uh, we connected one time at a meeting at a joint customer and asked me what I was doing next, and I thought it was kind of an interesting question because I had a job. <laughs> But uh, eventually ended up uh, working for Al at Trailcon, and uh, Trailcon being a leasing company for trailers, um, and a very forward, technically savvy company for the time, yes. and uh, really enjoyed my time there. Um, one of the best things about working at Trailcon was, as technically savvy as they were, there was also a real commitment to old school, you know, get out there, get involved in the industry, get as many contacts as you, as you can. It was a relationship sale, and they were very, very good at, at both sides of that business. And uh, my time there was well spent. It really was a great baptism into the business and uh, met a lot of great people in my time there. After my time at Trailcom, was uh, fortunate enough to uh, get involved in the liftgate industry, my first pass, uh, with a fellow named Michael Militello, a, uh, an old company that he had purchased from the Dell family and renamed Ultron. Not sure about the name, but uh, <laughs> it was a wonderful little company. Um, we managed to grow that company to a point where we were able to sell it in uh, 2008. I was a shareholder. It was wonderful. 
to a large conglomerate out of Europe named Cargotech, who also owned a liftgate company in the United States called Wolco. And part of that gig was, uh, after we'd completed the sale, was I went down with three other key individuals from Ultron, merged the two companies together, and was uh, vice president of sales and marketing for Wolco North America. And a wonderful time in my life. Uh, I had a chance to travel the U.S., uh, business down there is not like business in Canada. It's a completely different world. Oh, my goodness. Huge, huge market. Yes. Um, you could lose a deal one day that would be crushing, yep. wake up the next day, phone call, and there's another one out there. Back at it. Ab- unbelievable. And, and the way the Americans do business is so much different than us. Uh, if you get a meeting in the United States, you're going to you're going to sell something. Right. People get a meeting, something gets done, you walk away, and you go to the next deal. As you well know, in Canada, the first meeting is a cup of coffee. Yep. The second meeting, you talk about your wife and kids. The third meeting, you might go out for lunch. And maybe sometime a year later, you start selling to them. It's a whole different sales Much cycle. longer process. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the time at Walco was well spent. Um, really learned the U.S. market and uh, had a chance to kind of uh, backfill my position in Canada and have some great folks working for us up here. Uh, from the Walco gig... Went off to uh, work at a small custom bodybuilder up in uh, Bondhead, Durabody. A uh, nice little company. Yes. Uh, that's where you and I... This is where we connect. This is where we connect, Jason. Professionally, we connect here. Yes. Absolutely. And uh, again, an interesting time. I think it was our first foray into social media. Yes. We, uh, we had you in charge of our Twitter. And uh, Yeah, I think we launched our Twitter. We started a Facebook page. We started doing the first vlogs of, of product equipment to post up to the <laughs> website. Um yeah, we, we were getting in early. This is, yeah, almost 10 years ago. Um, so for our industry, is probably one of the first forays or, or, or the start of it, you know, to, to the social media side as far as reaching an audience outside of the relationship part of the business that we traditionally go to. Indeed. Indeed. Well said. After leaving uh, Durabody, took a gig at a company called Multivans, a van body builder, cross-Canada builder. More of a transitionary position to uh, kind of get ready for my next step uh, to get back into the liftgate business. Which is brings us to where we are today. And we are now where we are today. Which is excellent. So yeah, so today for the last four years, you have been at Maxon. Yes, uh, wonderful company. Really the leader in the industry. Uh, family owned, being run by the third generation of people. Just a terrific, terrific company to work for. And again, it's always been an industry leader. They first invented the first Tuck away liftgate in 1957, uh, brought a lot of the standard products we see today to the market. So yeah, so that's interesting. You know, being one of the first companies to create the the tuck away gate uh, going back, you know, 1957. That that's a good run. Um, but the interesting part is, you know, there's some uniquenesses in the manufacturing process within Maxon, and you know, as far as how, how they go to business. You know, can you dive into a little bit more of you know what makes them unique that way? Certainly, certainly. Uh, Maxon is unique in our industry, actually in, in many industries today, in that they're 100% vertically integrated in their manufacturing process. So raw steel comes into the building and finished lift gates go out the back end. Um, commitment to quality, design control, uh, the final product, it, it, all, it all flows through from, from start to finish at, at, without outsourcing most of their componentry, which makes them unique Very. in I that mean, industry. You know, I see it in our, in our side industry, there is, I mean, the amount of components involved in all this equipment, you have stuff coming from overseas through different companies, 
from different countries. So to keep a lot of it in-house is is very rare in this day and age. It is, and it's been a commitment from day one. They continue to do so to the point that they discovered a number of years back that they were getting uh, unreasonable delays waiting for components to be galvanized. Right. They put their own galvanizing plant in. So this is, this is a manufacturer that's committed to not only the quality of the product, but the quality of the process all the way through. And that's an interesting point because the, the galvanizing piece, I think, especially here in Canada, has kind of, I don't say snuck up on us, but it was always there. A lot of guys outsourced it, like you said. Um, but I think a lot of the OEMs, as far as the, 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 you know, the manufacturers of the bodies where a lot of stuff is attached to and even to the end users, uh, found the longevity of galvanized versus the painted, you know, massively advantageous and you know, I think it snuck up in the fact that you guys saw that and, and to eliminate the downtimes and bring that in-house was impressive. Incredibly forward-thinking. Um, and to be fair, about the two biggest uh, buyers of liftgates in North America, Ryder and Penske, really mandated to all of their suppliers that at a certain point they were only going to accept galvanized products. Right. And it did it push us to where we wanted to get to? Absolutely. But we went and did it. And then from a manufacturing point of view, you know, a lot of it has been obviously U.S. based. in In two thousand and eight, you guys open up in in Mexico, like like international or you know, a lot of products we support. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, a Mexican huge uh, manufacturing process. It, you know, it was a California based company, and my understanding is that the, the rules and regulations were such back in the the mid two thousands that it was very awkward to manufacture anything in California. You've got state laws versus county laws versus federal laws. And it's not that it forced people out, but people had to make some decisions. Right. The commitment to the Mexican facility has been a real win for, for Maxon. Um, wonderful employer. The, the locals love having Maxon there. Uh, the things they do for their employees are, are impressive. The, everything from buying school supplies, doctor on site, built you know cafeteria there, and the commitment to training of these employees as well. The facility is a little over 3,000 square feet. Uh, right now, quite frankly, we're at maximum capacity and we're looking at adding another facility. That is wild. It's neat to hear that part of it because I don't think, you know, especially when you cross over two borders, that story gets translated. You know, I think a lot of guys see the, you know, made in Mexico or assembled in Mexico and, you know, people have different thoughts about that. But understanding the commitment to the workers to provide it, you know, for lack of a better word, the same as environment as you would have in, in the U.S. or Canada is, is is impressive. Absolutely. All of the regulations that um, that Maxon adheres to down in Mexico would be equal equal or greater to, the, to any regulatory bodies in Canada or the United States. Um, robotic welders, plasma, laser cutters, all of the uh, welders are trained to the exact same uh, levels that you would in Canada or the U.S., Excellent. And that, that's, I think that's a story that, you know, people need to hear and understand, you know, we see it on our side with our products and it's, you know, it, it's, it's letting everyone know that, you know, yes, where it's assembled is one thing, but the standards, the engineering, all everything behind it, it's all at the same level. Correct. You know? And Correct. that brings us to, okay, see so the products made in Mexico for some of it, um, but you got to get it to the end users here in Canada. Yes. And that seems to be, you know, for a lot of OEMs on, whether it's the body side, the gate side, you know, it's 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 having equipment here to distribute across, you know, the, the region instead of bringing stuff up and relying on the logistics and crossing two borders to get up here. I think I think we can all relate to this as, as salespeople in the marketplace. It When you've got stock on the ground, the peace of mind, when you look at a customer and say, yes, we can deliver on time, you, you can't replace that. Uh, we recognize this in uh, at Maxon Canada when we first kind of got going, that we needed to have a commitment to our customers and our base that we'd have product readily available for immediate sale. And uh, Maxon and the family were, were terrific. 
They said, what do you need? So in 2016, uh, we put our own warehouse up. We stock over $2 million worth of products in the warehouse. And we are able to satisfy quick delivery whenever customers need it. Which is important. You know, it's the, you know, as we've talked about in the past and having worked together, you know, the, the Canadian U.S. market, as you referenced before, is significantly different. The, you know, the Canadian market is traditionally one-tenth the size of the U.S. market. So a, you know, a 30-truck deal here, for lack of better words, or a 30-liftgate deal in Canada is, is huge. Yes. In the U.S., some guys don't even get out of bed for that. Correct. Um, so it's, you know, having this stuff available when when the guys need it because, you know, time is of the essence for a lot of these deals is is the key piece. And it's it's nice to see that, you know, the, the larger U.S. companies are recognizing the value of stocking stuff in Canada instead of just relying on the U.S. market to drive, you know, 90% of their revenue. Absolutely right. And not only stocking products here in Canada, we're stocking products that are spec'd and designed for the Canadian market. They're a little different. Bigger platforms, obviously all galvanized, uh, different charging solutions because of the cold weather, different options. Again, we want to have uniquely Canadian products ready right away. And you just touched on a good point. I think, you know, part of the challenge with with the product itself uh, being very battery heavy, heavy is 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 the weather can draw some issues the loads the guys are running the cycle times um you know wh- where do you see that kind of changing or adapting or what what kind of what industry-wide is is coming down the pipe maybe to help address some of those issues that guys are coming across certainly uh what we're seeing i mean the liftgate market has grown exponentially over the last 10 years why it's the final mile it's everybody shopping on the on the internet and wanting stuff delivered to the house be it from a small set of gloves to a large washer dryer set um consequence of the environmental issues people don't want trucks idling all over the place lift gates run off batteries and in order to keep batteries fully charged there's things one must do to keep those batteries charged there's things must one spec to make sure you've got the right battery capacity for what somebody's trying to do for instance a tim horton's donuts who's delivering to seven or eight different franchisees in one shot is going to need a lot more battery capacity than Bob's delivery service making one or two dedicated stops with a lift gate. Correct. Yeah, so that that becomes, you know, from from my world and, and you know from from our side is on the truck side is is having that conversation with the customer, understanding, you know, what it is they're trying to do with this piece of equipment and making sure not only the gate is spec correctly, um, but the truck is spec correctly to support the gate. And I think, you know, sometimes you can have those disconnects and that 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 conversation is always key when talking to to the end users. Well, certainly, you want to make sure that you provide the customer with what he wants. Most importantly, that truck's got to start when he wants it to start. So the liftgate can't draw the truck batteries down to the point where they fell. It can't start the truck up and get going again. Some of the things we've been doing is adding, on a straight truck, an additional battery pack so that the truck batteries are charging the liftgate batteries. When we do that, we typically ask the question, you know, would you, you know we can put a, a, a battery isolator in there, which prevents the liftgate batteries from running down and then drawing down the truck batteries. And you and I were talking a little earlier today before we get getting ready for this mm-hmm. about the, the smart, what do they call it? The smart stop or the smart? Yeah, like a start stop feature. We see it on a lot of the tractors. I have, um, it, on, I have it on my car. Yeah, same thing on the car, except this one is even you know more robust um, from the tractor side. You know, for the guy who parks his truck for, you know, six weeks at a time, uh, you know, you hit the switch and it'll allow it to, if anything's pulling from the battery slowly, as, as things do, um, instead of, you know, having to come back to a, a dead truck, this thing will fire up on its own, charge up the batteries, and it shuts itself off. And we've heard stories of guys, when they go overseas for, you know, three, four weeks at a time, 
they hear stories for, from the guys in the yard saying, you've got this phantom ghost truck. The truck's all of a sudden just firing up in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the night, shuts itself down. He goes, yeah, but when I come back, I hop in the truck, turn the key, I'm gone. I'm good. So the technology is, is starting to get there on, I think on both sides. And it's a lot of it is mirroring up the two worlds and the applications to try and find a cohesive way of keeping the truck ideally not idling to do half the jobs that you guys are trying to do. Interesting. I think that's one, that's probably a case where the, you know, the lift gate side and the charging solutions force the truck manufacturers to recognize we need to find a way to make sure the truck starts. And that's one way to do it. One thing that the lift gate industry is learning from the power side of the business is telematics. Our customers want to know, especially large users, they want to do predictive maintenance, not right. Not pre- preventative maintenance, predictive maintenance. So they, they know that at a certain number of cycles, a solenoid or a motor needs to be replaced. And we're just now starting to introduce telematics into offerings for our larger customers so they can effectively forecast when something could go wrong and eliminate that from happening. And that's huge because coming from you know a full-service lease background where you have this rated into your maintenance costs and, and you know as the company is responsible for keeping it, the equipment on the road and, and the uptime, you know, we would put cycle counters on the gates, which is great as long as someone's there to look at the cycle counter and report it. So right. it, it goes back again to trying to eliminate the human error and the human interaction of, of getting things incorrect and taking it out of their hands. So by, again, using telematics to push this data through the portal where everything else seems to be going, especially on the truck side, all, all the onboard electronics, everything, all the nanny stuff as far as, you know, speed limiters, hard stops, hard braking, you know, hard turns. All that's coming through. So be able to tap onto that and, and pull in a cycle counter is if you're the maintenance guy, if you're if you're the fleet guy, to your point, now now you're in front of it, you're you're eliminating untimely breakdowns, right. downtime, customer dissatisfaction, you know, your truck on the side of the road, you know, if it's branded up, that looks bad. So all this gets in front of it. And at the end of the day, it's just it's just a better way of keeping the fleet up and running. It's it's great to see the technology you know, as we said before, it's, you know, the liftgate world, there are some, some componentry that becomes very niche to certain guys, but there's still a need for for the niche products to be in the same vein as far as, you know, the OEMs providing that forward information to, to the end user. Absolutely. At the end of the day, you can't fix stupid, but you can make your product smarter. Exactly. And I think that's where it's going. The technology is, is going there, you know, in all fronts. And uh, it's a lot of data coming at the guys, but I, I think, as as that's not going away, uh, everyone's trying to find a way to absorb it, to filter it out, and find the stuff that works for them. And ultimately, it's it's just more effective way of running the fleet compared to what it was 10, 15 years ago. No question. Well, excellent. Thanks, Pete. That was uh, kind of a great wrap-up and, and summary of, of the liftgate industry, uh, Maxon's place in it, kind of a better understanding, really, of, of how they've come to market, the, the innovation they, they've brought to it, and I think, you know, we learned a couple of things here that I didn't even know with regards to, you know, the, the, the training, the, you know, the background with the, the plants in, in Mexico and just, just overall how robust and, and technology driven the industry is um, that not everyone really get, gets insight to. And I think that there's so much more we can talk about. Uh, there, there's a few more pieces even just within the industry itself. And then, you know, from our world, you know, we've worked together in, in a sales capacity that, and there's a different conversation we can have with regards to sales of, of whether it's, you know, products as in the lift gate or the industry itself, uh, regional sales differences that, that we come across, you know, we, we've referenced briefly the U S Canada version, but even across Canada, 
we see different, you know, interactions and different relationships. And certainly, yes. And going into the relationship part, we, you mentioned we haven't even dug into your history at the TTC, my history at the DRTA. There's, you know, understanding the, the, the value and, and the place of different associations, the relationship part of the industry. I, I think we have a lot more to dig into that. I think we'll tease the audience today and say to be continued in a future uh, podcast. That, that sounds fantastic. I, I do think, um, you know, with all the changes in the world today, be it technology or the way people get to market, the one job they say will be here 20 years, 50 years from now is selling. Yes. I think people still like to buy from people. It's a contact sport. Let's go out and make contact. Excellent. And on that note, Pete, I thank you for your time and thank you for being my guinea pig and my first guest on this inaugural podcast. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. Thank you.